Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. On February 19th, 2022, Olympic bobsledder Alana Myers-Taylor won a bronze medal in the two-woman bobsledding event. This was the second medal she earned at the 2022 Winter Olympics. The first was a silver medal in monobob. In fact, she has won a medal in every Olympic event that she's ever competed in. With that bronze medal, Myers-Taylor officially became the most decorated black athlete in the Winter Games the oldest American woman to medal in the Olympics, and the most decorated female Olympic bobsledder. These are no doubt incredible accomplishments on their own. But perhaps more impressive is the fact that this was her first Olympics as a mother. I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched a show about the heat of competition and what the greatest athletes would lose to win. This season is about controversies and scandals on the biggest world stage, the Olympics. In this interview, I sit down with Alana to talk about her amazing wins in Beijing and what it felt like to make history. As a new mom myself, I also wanted to hear about her experience coming back to bobsledding after having her son and what she hopes for other elite athletes who seek to have dimension in their lives. Hi, Alana. Welcome to Torched. We're so excited to have you on. Thanks. Very excited to be here. Alana Myers-Taylor, four-time world champion, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to rattle off your accolades, but there's so many of them that if I get one of them wrong, just stop me. Four-time world champion, four-time Olympian, and medalist. In 2015, five, five time Olympic medalist now. <laughs> okay, five time Olympic medalist. <laughs> but four time Olympian. Four time yes. Olympian. In 2015, you made history by becoming the first woman to earn a spot on the US team competing with men as the four man bobsled pilot. First woman to win a medal in a men's event. Most decorated black athlete in Winter Olympic history. Oldest woman to medal at the Olympic games winter olympics yes <laughs> most decorated female bobsledder and one of the only two mothers competing at the 2022 winter olympics good god woman <laughs> you are yes. prolific and you do not play oh, by the rules and i love that so just because i have it in the notes here even though i just kind of rattled through will you just give us your full name and what you do ilana myers taylor and i am a pilot for the u.s bobsled team and so much more than that. <laughs> Not only am I so excited to, to speak to you today because of how prolific you are and what an incredible athlete, you are exactly the person I need to talk to today because I am a new mother and kind of hit a wall yesterday thinking like, can I really do it all? Can, can we really do this? You know? And so I'm just super excited as a former athlete to speak to you today, but super excited and inspired as a, as a new mom to speak to you today. So 
Thank you for doing this. Of course. First of all, congratulations. Thank I mean, that's, you. You're you're in the thick of it now. I'm in the thick of it. <laughs> the, uh-huh. the newborn stages, but you know, everybody says, like when you're a new mom, the days are long, but the years are short, and it really, even though I'm only two years in, it really feels like that. In Is some it? Regards. Does it? Yeah. 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 I've I've heard that, and I and I'm seeing that. I'm seeing how that math works. It's crazy. So, would you share a little bit about your son, Nico? Yes. So my son, Nico, is, I think he's absolutely the greatest. Um, He was born actually four weeks early. He wasn't moving very well. So we decided to go ahead and get him all out. I was induced and spent over 35 hours in labor and finally dilated all the way and then spent over two hours of pushing. And this kid was not going anywhere. And now knowing him, like, you're like, okay, yeah, that was, that's just my kid. You know, he's, he's stubborn. He's lovable. He's so much fun. I, I call him magical, but he was also born with Down syndrome and profound hearing loss. He's now aided by cochlear implants for his hearing loss. But at the beginning, he spent about eight days in the NICU right before COVID hit. So it's been a journey ever since the day, ever since is the day I went in to get induced because he's just been giving us different things to focus on nonstop, but he's a lot of fun. Congratulations. That's super, super exciting. I, I don't know how you feel, but all, all these sort of like ambitions we have that we, that we strive for, and then you come up against this, this little tiny <laughs> infant that poses so many challenges, but overcoming them is for me, it's just, it's, it's so incredible and so different from any other accomplishment that, I, that I've experienced in, in my life. Without a doubt. And the crazy thing is, is like, I think part of you is like, we're used to setting these goals and we're used to achieving them and doing all these different things. But I think part of you switches into a whole different mode. It's because it's one thing if you go after goal and you're not successful, Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with an infant, you don't have a choice, but to be successful, you have to figure it out. And so it's like, you're tapping into all those years of experience of, of going after things and, and being able to successfully complete tasks, complete complete goals and those types of things. And you just find ways. It's amazing how moms just figure out how to get things done. No kidding. Tell us a little bit about your husband. His name is Nicholas. Yes. Okay. My husband, Nick, is Nick. a bobsledder as well. He's also now a chiropractor, which is crazy because, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, he's going to chiropractic school, which is four years. Uh, we're competing on the bobsled team. And then we <laughs> have a baby as well, a baby with special needs. So we're a little bit crazy in that sense, but I guess all bobsledders are. But he is my best friend. He's my everything. And honestly, without him, there's no way I would have been able to be to accomplish what we've been able to accomplish the past two years, especially with my son. Cause you know, I think a lot of people, when they think about the role of mom in the household, they have very traditional ideas, but I can very much say that our duties within our household of, of child rearing and things like that are pretty equally split. Obviously there's going to be some days where he's doing more and I'm doing less, or I'm doing a little bit more and he's doing less, but we're pretty balanced within the Taylor household. I love that so much. All right. So you're a bobsledder. <laughs> Can you tell us in the audience how bobsled works? So bobsled, traditionally, uh, women have only had two people in the sled, the two-person sled. But this past Olympics, we now have a new discipline added. That's one person in the sled. So it's just me in the sled. Both in the two-man and the mono bob, the athletes push 
about 30 to 50 meters and then hop in the sleds. Our sleds, two man and the monobob are around the same weight. They're close to 400 pounds. So you have to be strong and fast uh, to do this very explosive movement one time or, or within an Olympic discipline four times and then hop in the sled. Once we're actually in the sled, we do actually steer it. It's a little bit of a pulley system, but we do steer the sleds down the track. It's over 80 miles per hour, very split second decisions, making these decisions to try and not only go fast down the track, but be safe as well. So it's thrilling, it's exhilarating, and I absolutely love driving a sled. I hated being in the back of the sled when I was in the back <laughs> uh, first Olympics, but I love driving a sled. Yeah, you like to be in the driver's seat. Yes. <laughs> I, I think I think you, you're a fellow driver in that sense. If you were a bobsledder, you'd definitely be a driver. Yeah, no, I, I would be freaking out in the back. <laughs> so tell us how it feels to be going down that track in that sled at 80 miles an hour. Oh my gosh. When you are going 80 miles per hour down a track, you are flying. When you're really nailing it, when you're really in the zone, you feel close to a superhero because everything just feels like it's flowing. You're just glow gliding down the track and everything just feels right. However, <laughs> most of the time you're not in that flow zone. So when it feels great, you're, you just, everything just feels amazing. And you just, it's a feeling that you chase because it so rarely happens. And, and fortunately I've been able to have it happen a couple of times in the Olympics and those types of things. And that's the feeling you chase, but when it goes wrong, it goes really wrong and you're hitting walls and you're getting bruised and you might even crash. Like it is not the most comfortable feeling at all. It feels like getting shoved in a metal garbage can and kicked down a rocky hill. I feel like you just described the human condition. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you just described life. Yes, that's that's probably, I never really thought about it, but bobsled is a microcosm of life yes. for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, but you, I mean, you were in the zone in, in Beijing, arguably, because you meddled in both monobob and two-person. Yeah. So, you know, I was in COVID isolation for about a week prior to the competition. So going into that monobob competition, I really wasn't at my best yet. I still needed a little bit more time on the track. I still needed to be able to settle into my sled a little bit. So my first day was pretty rough. <laughs> my first day I was outside the medals and then fortunately um, was able to recover overnight and, and climb up in the medals, but it cost me a shot at the gold medal for sure. The second day I was definitely feeling it, definitely got in the zone and then carried it into two man, which I'm extremely grateful for because like like I said, sometimes, you know, it's one thing of being able to put yourself in that zone. And usually I'm really, I'm running the best of the world of being able to put myself in that zone. It's a whole nother thing when the circumstances going on outside your life are so overwhelming. It's just hard to even focus on bobsled, hard to get into that zone. And that's where I was the first day within monobob. Okay. There are two things that I want to nail down on there. First of all, when you say I was in COVID isolation, you actually got COVID, right? Yes. So yes. you couldn't, you didn't have any time to train. Yep. I you got COVID train. and and in China, they send you to an isolation hotel where you are exactly by yourself. And so my husband was there. We were able to bring our son with us because I was still breastfeeding. IOC has a rule that if you're breastfeeding, even with COVID restrictions, you can still travel with your infants or your son. So we decided to bring him along with us. And then my dad was actually there to serve as the caretaker because my husband had responsibilities with the men's team. So we were all there. And then two days after we landed in Beijing, we all tested positive and literally got isolated uh, from each other. So I was in a room by myself. My husband was in a room and then my son and my father were in a room together and that was it. And we didn't, we FaceTimed and everything like that. But for the most part, that was the most I had been away from my son ever. Because before that, the most I had been away was about nine hours. And that was just to spend the night at my 
grandpa's house. So it was a little extreme going from what we're used to on a daily basis to all of a sudden trying to figure out how to train, get ready for Olympic competition and everything within a 10 meter room. Rooms are pretty small and, and, you know, you're by yourself trying to figure it out. Unreal. I mean, that is not ideal going into the games. No, to say absolutely the very not. least. So that kind of brings me to the next thing I want to I want to get into, which is you say you're really good at getting into the zone. Obviously, I mean that I I can't imagine much more interference coming into a games than that. What's your process for getting in the zone? So for me, um, it took me a while to figure out what it takes for me to get in the zone and. What I figured out is that for me, I really have to be enjoying what I'm doing. I really have to be loving the entire process. When the races that I've done really well on, you'll see me beforehand and I'm dancing and I'm just enjoying being there, enjoying being in that moment. And that's really what it is. I have to look at the runs and then just take it as it is and, and just be at a space where, you know what, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm just going to go out there and enjoy how this feels going down the track. And that's really what enables me to get in the zone. Like I'm not an angry person. I'm not a like chop somebody's head off. I've never been somebody who's been like, oh, I want to kill my competition because I've always looked at my competition as the clock. So as long as I'm able to get in that headspace where I'm truly enjoying myself and not worried about the outcome or what everyone else is doing, then I'm able to get in the zone. You got to get out of the results business. Do you, do you utilize anything like meditation or any of the mindfulness, any of those uh, sort of practices to, to help you? Yes, I'm big on meditation and actually use the meditation uh, app Headspace. So I use different apps. It's hard for me to sit sometimes by myself. And I've tried several times without guided meditation and stuff like that. So I still need a little bit of guidance here and then. And then also I work with two different sports psychs who a lot of times will walk me through different meditations as well. Yeah, I'm a huge meditator. I'm a huge advocate of meditation. It completely changed my relationship to how I experience the world. So what made you want to try bobsledding? So for me, bobsledding was just a second choice. And I think a lot of athletes that get into the sport, it really is a second choice. So I grew up playing softball. I wanted to be in the Olympics and didn't care actually what sport it was. But softball was my chosen sport to try at it. I grew up playing softball, basketball, soccer, track, you name it. I played it, then played collegiately and professionally as well, all with the intention of going to the Olympics. And I had an Olympic tryout. And it was an absolute disaster of a tryout. And when I say disaster, I mean, it was objectively the worst tryout in the history of tryouts. And if you <laughs> found somebody and asked them, they would definitely tell you how bad it was because it was that bad if they could remember. So I didn't make the Olympic softball team. It was taken out of the games, but I still wanted to be an Olympian. So I was like, well, what can I do? And my parents actually saw Bobson on TV and said, hey, they look for strong, fast, powerful athletes. These are your assets in softball. Why don't you give Bobson a try? I was like, sure, why not? At that point, I was like, what do I have to lose? So I just Googled it, emailed the coach, and they invited me up to Lake Placid, New York for a tryout. Wow. So thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to listen to your parents. Sometimes it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have done it a lot more in my life, but that's a different story. What did you think of it when you first tried it? Oh my gosh. When I first tried bobsled, I was like, I have a lot to learn. This is crazy. <laughs> this is absolute crazy. And how it works is first, when I started, you get a couple of repetitions on a dry land push track, which is just pushing the sled on like a railed system, like um, a train track system or something like that. So you're just pushing it like that. And you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, this is fun. I could do this. And then they're like, 
put you at the top of the bobsled run. <laughs> like, okay, go. And you're like, what? I think I need a little bit more baby steps in between here, like something. And then you just hop in the back and you're there for the ride. And you, they tell you what it's going to be like. They try to prepare you, but nothing can really prepare you. Like it is absolutely crazy kind of ride. And you go down, you're feeling all kinds of bumps and jerks. And in Lake Placid too, it's one of the roughest tracks in the world. It's one of the most difficult tracks in the world too. So it's not a smooth ride at all. So then you get out and you're like disoriented. You're like, what the heck just happened? Most people are like, I'm never doing that again. But some people have the reaction is like, okay, I'll try it again. And for me, I was like, well, I'm here. Placid is two hours from the closest airport. I might as well take another trip and see how it goes. So eventually you get to like it more and more, the more times you go down. And you know, cut to you become the most decorated female Olympian in, in bobsled. What was that time span from your from them pushing you down the track <laughs> and saying, hope you don't die, to becoming the most decorated female Olympian in bobsled? So I started in 2007. That was my first season. I was three years in as a brakeman. So I went to my first games in 2010 as a brakeman in the back of the sled and then immediately switched to a driver. Like a month after that games, I was in Park City, Utah, just learning how to drive a bobsled. So it's been 15 total years and 12 of those as a pilot in the front of the sled. So yeah. At what point uh, did you realize this is something I could do and I could take this all the way. Was there, was there a moment? Was it your passion for it? What, what was the sort of light bulb moment? When I first started, I was pretty rough. I was pretty raw. Usually people come to bobsled from track and field and some of those other sports. So when people were giving me cues about how to even get in the sled, they were like, oh, just long jump in, long jump in. I was like, I don't know how to long jump. I'm a softball player. (laughs) So, you know, my I didn't even know how to train when I started bobsled. What I would do is just look around and see what other people were doing, what running drills they were doing and just watch them and just copy them. So I looked like a crazy person just copying all the other exercises people were doing. But slowly but surely, like I figured out how to do it. So it was just one of those things I wasn't very good to start off with, but eventually I learned. And within my first season, I I earned the right to race world championships on the second ranked US sled. So right then and there, I knew I had some talent. I just needed to figure out this bobsled thing. And (laughs) I definitely had a lot to figure out at that point. Well, I'd say you figured it out. (laughs) And then some. I want to get into... um, that goal you had to go to the Olympics and, and to, as a mother and to medal, because I think that's really important. But first I want to talk about another place that you really kind of shattered expectations and, and moved the needle. And, and that is in 2015, when you made history by becoming the first woman to earn a spot on the U S team competing with men as a four man bobsled pilot, how were you received? So my personal driving coach, um, Brian Scheimer, he was crazy supportive of the idea. He was a medalist from 2002 in four-man. So women have traditionally only had the two-man discipline. Men have had two-man and four-man, and it never really made sense why women couldn't drive a four-man sled, especially because some of the four-man drivers, because you have three other guys pushing behind you, some of the four-man drivers, I'm actually athletically better than, (laughs) I'm actually stronger and faster than. So the excuse of, oh, well, you won't be able to push or, oh, you can't do these types of things, it never really made sense. So after years and years of fighting for it, not only myself, my teammates and, and other people around the world, and also many women before me, fighting for this opportunity to drive for me. And they finally gave us the opportunity, uh, but they gave us the opportunity with the guys that not only did we need to make our own national teams in order to make it happen, but also they were going to put it, all kinds of restrictions, make it as hard as possible for us to make the team and, and to 
compete on the highest level possible. So there's quite a few barriers in the way. Like I said, my coach was supportive of it, but internationally, there's a lot of people shaking their heads when we showed up on the starting lines. And then when we were actually successful, a lot of people saying, wow, didn't know that could happen, or I didn't know that was possible or or things like that. Fortunately, um, we were able to get a little bit more equity within the sport. That's so awesome. I'm so glad that you just went for it. Because, you know, there's, there's all those quotes, like everything is impossible until someone does it. And after, after you did that, do you, do you think you were received warmly and were people supportive or did you still feel that there was some resistance? Oh, there's definitely still, there's still resistance. And, you know, it was also one of those kind of things where some of the women from other countries wanted to be able to do that, but their countries wouldn't even allow them. There's other countries, unfortunately, that are very against women being able to even drive two-man bobsleds, um, let alone drive four-man bobsleds. So they're still fighting those equity things and stuff like that. And there's still contention about whether women can drive. And I think people see me and and with the Olympic medals, they see it more as an outlier sometimes. So they excuse it all away. They're Mm -hmm. like, well, you did it, but you've also won all these medals with women's two man. Other women wouldn't be able to handle it. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is not that hard. If you can drive a car, I can get you down a bobsled track. So to think that women can't drive these bobsleds is just nonsense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you are proving that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So let's go back into the 2022 Winter Olympics. This was your first Olympics as a mother. First of all, you were still breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, you went into it with this goal to win bronze and silver. And we just talked about how you got COVID and basically had no time to train the course. And and all the courses, bobsled courses are different, right? It's not like, yes. a, I mean, you, you got to learn the course. So coming from you know, a, a, a huge handicap, a huge deficit here. And, and you still did it. You won bronze and silver medals. What was going through your mind? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, at the beginning, you know, we went in with this goal, but I hadn't had the greatest two-man season. Uh, so we knew my better shot was in monobob and I had a really good monobob season and it was finally clicking with that sled and, and felt like we were in a really good position to not only win a medal, but to go for gold. And when COVID happened and we were sent to isolation and everything, it was kind of like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? And, and fortunately, my husband, you know, he's one of the most positive people in the world. And he's like, not only are we going to get out of COVID isolation, but you're still going to win two medals. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, he was unwavering during the whole time. And I think part of it was I needed that strength and I needed that somebody to provide that confidence for me because I really didn't have it at that moment. So going into the race, you know, the day before the race, the monobob race, I was like, I don't even know if I should be racing at this point. Like this is... My training runs were terrible. I was like, I I don't know if I can do this. My coaches and and my husband just reassured me. They're like, no, you know how to turn it on in race days. You're going to be fine. Just go out there and get after it. And so the first day, I just tried to do as best as I could. And and fortunately, it was good enough to put me in medal contention in fourth place. And then the second day, you know, I... I think I kind of thrive being the underdog sometimes, kind of thrive coming in that from behind position. So I just went out there and said, look, 
I got nothing to lose this time. Mm. In my eyes, fourth place is going to be the same as 20th. So I might as well just go after it and see what happens. And, and that's exactly what I did. I just laid it all on the line. And unfortunately, it panned out. And it panned out in a crazy way. Came down the first run of the second day, was in third place, and then moved up the final run into silver medal position. And it was absolutely crazy. When I came across the line, <laughs> I was cheering like there was no tomorrow. I've never cheered that hard for a medal because for me, it was just so unexpected knowing where we came from. And being there, I was just... Like, I can't even put into words how amazing that felt. And I think there's a lot of pictures that show, like, I'm praying down at the bottom. I'm just cheering. <laughs> I'm celebrating. And I just couldn't believe it. It didn't even matter that it wasn't a gold medal at that moment. Like, it was, it meant everything to me. Oh, I have the chills. I mean, what a moment. And then when you're standing on the podium, are you also thinking about what this means for other women? You know, then and having kids and showing up and winning these medals and showing people that you can be dimensional like this, that you can be an elite athlete, but also be a parent and, and go through these struggles and have these obstacles and still stand on this podium with this medal around your neck. Yeah. I think going into this Olympics, that's one of the reasons why I was motivated to even try is because so often we're told as women, once you become a mother, your life is over. You can't do anything else. Or once you become a parent, it's the end. It comes all about your child. And it is at the end of the day, all about my child, but you know, he's, he's doing great. <laughs> he's, he can come along with me. He can travel with me. He can do all these things. And, you know, I just wanted to go out there and show that there's still a way for you to live your dreams while being a parent. And my son is part of my dreams. He's not only a way to live my dreams, he is a part of it. And to tell you the truth, after 2018, I didn't really know if I wanted a bobsled. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I came out that next season and was pretty miserable bobsledding. And lo and behold, the season after I ended up getting pregnant. And that really sparked a whole new level of fire within me. And I decided that I wanted to not only do this as a mother and to show the world, but I also wanted to do this to show my future child that you can overcome obstacles and then you could you can go after your dreams. And then when it turned out that he had special needs as well, then I was like, you know what? The world is going to tell him no, just like the world tries to tell many mothers no. And if I can be that living example for him, I'm going to do everything I can to do it. I'm going to do everything I can to show him that just because other people tell you you can't doesn't mean anything. It's like, if you want something, you go after and you go get it. Amen. Good for you. <laughs> I got to collect myself here for a second because that really got me. So I am mm, seven weeks out of of giving birth. <laughs> That's incredible. I can't believe you're podcasting right now. No. That's incredible. Podcasting. Wait, let's talk about you. All right. <laughs> How soon did you start training again? I have the context of, of what just happened and thinking about going back into some Olympic training regimen is just crazy. So how soon did you get back in the gym? How soon did you start training again? So my journey back was pretty unique. First, I did have a C-section and I'm pretty rare in a sense, though, because I was up and walking within the first day of having a C-section. And <laughs> the reason that is, is like most people, when I tell them that, they're like, oh, because you're Olympic athletes. Like, no, my son was in the NICU. Mm. And the only way to get over there was I had to walk down the hallway across this long bridge and all this kind of stuff. And and I was determined, you know, because if I if I didn't get up and walk, then I need a wheelchair and somebody need to be with me. And this is all this process. And I was like, no, I need to go 
visit my son any anytime I want to see him. Anytime he needs me, I need to be able to get up and go. So it was a whole new motivation. It's like, okay, C-section, be damned. I'm going <laughs> to see my son. So I was up and walking pretty quickly. And so most people when they have a C-section, they're like, oh, it's so much pain and all this kind of stuff. But I didn't even, I can't even tell you the pain, but I think it's because emotionally mm. I was so focused on what I had to do for my son. You know, that meant whether it was pumping every couple hours or just getting up there and physically being able to be with them and go hold them and things like that. Like it was a whole different experience. So I recovered pretty quickly from the C-section and then I was probably able to start a little bit of training, just light work about a month later. But then it was a little bit different too, because all the gyms were shut down. Everything was <laughs> shut down with COVID. So we didn't really have access to full weight equipment and stuff for a while, which I think probably was a blessing in disguise because it probably would have started sooner than, um, I should have. So even though I felt comfortable to start training again about a month out, we probably didn't start until we had to get weightlifting equipment shipped in, had to build a home gym and everything like that. It was probably a solid two months before we were able to start back like a full training program. And, and that was more so due to COVID than actually the delivery and the baby. Was it? Did you find it hard to get back into shape after? Did you find that your body felt different or you felt you bounced back? Oh, my body is still different. Uh, my body <laughs> okay. will never be the same. I think the hardest thing was I had six months to get back into shape before I needed to make the national team again, which is nobody should have that kind of no. expectation. Like it's terrible. <laughs> and then just the fact of recognizing that my body had changed, like there is still some different ways, like my back's not the same. And it just never will be the same. My abs don't come together as closely as they did before and things like that. So nothing felt the same. But then as I started competing and started changing my mindset about training, like I thought I had to be back to the six days a week, um, four to six hours, like hardcore every single day. Like I thought that's what I had to be back to doing, being my coach, being able to be right there by my side and being able to adjust our workouts. It's like, Hey, okay, you were up three times last night feeding Nico. Maybe we're not training for six hours today. Or why don't we just do whatever your body feels and, and, build slowly. And, you know, when we do have a hard lift, you go in, you get your hard lift in and, and maybe we spend an hour, whereas before we would have drawn it out to two hours or things like that. So we had to do a lot of adaptation there and just recognize that it's not going to feel the same and that's okay. And I think it didn't click until I started actually going out and performing and racing and the numbers seemed okay. And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. You know, I'm putting up pretty good push numbers and I'm able to contend and everything like that. And, you know, I'm not doing the same types of things I was training. And it's like, yes, your body knows what it's doing. You just have to be able to trust it. That's so true. And, and so often we can have this idea in our mind of what a perfect you know, athletic body and a perfect training session looks like. And, you know, I think something that you learn is you can still go out and play hurt and you can still go out and be 70%, 80% and perform. And you just have to get your head right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And I think you're after giving birth, what your a hundred percent is just looks differently. Yeah. So, I mean, you and Nick are ride or die. I mean, that's like the story of your life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Top sled. laughs> in your relationship and like the things you take on and, and it just is such a, sounds like such a beautiful love story and such a beautiful partnership. And he's still competing now? He's competing. He com he was an alternate at 2022. Um, where we'll go from here, he's not really sure yet because he just finished his chiropractic degree as well. So trying to see where that goes professionally and things like that. And plus, we, we want to continue to grow our family. So a whole bunch of things in the air. We don't really know what's next. But, you know, I think I'm one of 
I was actually at a brunch with a, a bunch of ladies the other day and, and we were sitting down and talking and, you know, just talking about our relationships and things like that. And it, just at the table with eight of us, you know, I was one of the few people who would actually be okay with being with their partner all day, every day. You know, wow. uh, most of the women were like, no, I could never work with my husband. Like that would be <laughs> terrible or whatnot. So I, I recognize that we definitely have a unique relationship in that sense, but that's all we've known. I mean, we've been together now since 2011, married since 2014, and, and we've been together almost every single day, all day. So, you know, that we're best friends. So that it's might just be what the, works for us. <laughs> That might be the most amazing thing you've told me so far. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Are you guys competitive with each other? Absolutely not. We have a rule that we can't compete with each other because we know how out of hand it could get. But um, we are madly competitive with our in-laws and <laughs> our <laughs> brothers and sisters and things like that. So, of course, we always want to compete with them in all things. But I think we work together much better as a team than we do fighting against each other. Yeah, that's awesome. And is it difficult? I mean, it has to be to to balance childcare and, and training and everything. Do you guys have systems? I mean, how, how do you do that? Do you have help? Oh, without a doubt, it is definitely a challenge. This particular season, we had one of my teammates actually retired from bobsled just to be able to go on tour with me and take care of our son. So she traveled with us and really was a godsend uh, because not only did my son Nico really, really enjoy her and everything like that, but she understood bobsled. She understood how sometimes our hours can be crazy and things like that. So she was definitely a godsend in that regard. But the year prior, Nick had just taken off a season of sliding and, and we just all traveled around his family and he looked after Nico and gave up his bobsled career for that year to just try and see what we can do to make it work. I mean, it's, it's kind of chaotic <laughs> most days, uh, but just recognizing, you know, we have the ability to make it work and, and as long as both of us are doing whatever is in the best interest of our son, it's going to work out. What do you think the hardest thing about being a mother and an Olympian is? I think the hardest thing is, you know, the days are pretty difficult sometimes. You've got the mom guilt going and, and mm. you've got the side of an athlete going. But I think more so than anything you do physically or, or manually on a day-to-day -day basis. It's the mental mind games. It is that mom guilt. It is that thoughts in your head that said, well, your competition wasn't up till 3 a.m. because your child's sick or because he wants to eat or because he just is jet lagging and wants to play. It's those mental games that really mess with you sometimes. And also your perspective kind of changes and, and your emotions kind of change as well um, related to everything. So whether or not things get heightened or taken out of context or, or all these different things. There's so much mentally that goes on to now being a mother and adding this to the Olympic space. It just plays with you. And and so that's why I've been very intentional about working with my sports psychs, working with my husband and, and telling them exactly what I'm going through. And I think that's what it takes is that open and honest communication because mentally it just, you know, mentally you'll go to places where tell you, oh, you're not a good enough mother. Oh, you're not a good enough athlete. And, and you'll go there. But as long as you have people to snap you out of it and to bring you back um, to focusing on what you can control in the day to day, then you'll be all right. Yeah, no question. I have absolutely noticed a whole different level of an internal dialogue and an internal critic since I became a mom. And, and I, you know, it's just a story you hear over and over. And, and it, it, I think it happens also to men after becoming a parent. There's just a whole, it's just, the stakes are so much higher and to be able to manage that and to understand that sometimes you don't have to get hooked into those thoughts. And sometimes that's not the truth. And oftentimes it's not the truth. So critical. Yeah. And I think, 
as you know, there's always these examples out there of what looks like these moms who are doing everything perfectly and their kids are just perfect. And and you feel like you got to live up to that. (laughs) And especially in the special needs community, there's moms who like their kids got so programmed and they hitting all these therapies and they're hitting their milestones right on par with neurotypical kids and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, I must be failing. My kid's not doing this or I can't fit in three therapies a day and all this kind of stuff. So all that stuff starts to wane on you. But then it's important to remember that nobody's got this nailed down. I mean, nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody's out here just trying to do the best they can for your family. And whatever it looks like, the, you know, whatever it looks like on Instagram or social media or stuff is not a reality. We get these ideas that things are different than what they really are. But, you know, it's just about getting in that mental space and reminding yourself that you're just doing the best you can for your family, for yourself, and, and you'll be all right. Yeah, no kidding. The newborn stage is a whole (laughs) other deal. (laughs) What do you think the most rewarding part of being a mother and an Olympian is? The absolute most rewarding moment I've had is being able to hang that silver medal around my son's neck and, and to have that moment where we've worked so hard for this and he sacrificed so much, you know, he's a great kid. He's happy and things like that. But, you know, I can't help but think what things would be like maybe if his life was a little bit more normal, a little bit more structured or all these kind of things. But, you know, he's a trooper. So to actually have all this work out, to have him there with me, like that was the moment to end all moments. And yeah, it's it's been a journey for our entire family and to have it work out to win Olympic medals. Like that's all you can ask. Yeah, no kidding. And, And what do you tell Nico about the Olympics? (laughs) <laughs> Nico does not care about the limit. He loves he loves the medals. He absolutely loves playing with them. And for some reason, like we watch the Summer Olympics, he loves weightlifting. He loves watching weightlifting. But for the most part, yeah, he's getting at the age where he can like he knows like he recognizes his mom on TV and that's weird for him. When he gets a little bit older, I'll tell him exactly what we went through to get here, exactly why it was so important. And it's because him, like all of this is for him. Those medals are his medals. He'll get those for the rest of his life. And this was all to show him what's possible. And hopefully I'll be able to continue um, to share that message, not only with him, but with his brothers and sisters. But he, he might be, the, <laughs> who knows, he might be the only one who got to live it <laughs> firsthand. His brothers and sisters, maybe we'll see in the future. But just to know that he was part of the entire thing, you know, that's what I'll constantly remind him is mommy kept going after her dreams with you by her side. Yeah, I love that to show him what's possible. That's super powerful. And lastly, what advice do you have for Olympians who want to become mothers or for mothers who want to continue with their their sports career or with any career, really? I think the best piece of advice I could tell you is it's not easy, but it's definitely doable. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be some days where you feel like you're in over your head, but you are more than capable. Just take it one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, and you'll figure it out. I think that's one of the biggest things that motherhood gives us. It gives us the ability to figure things out. It gives us the ability to adapt because you don't have a choice. And so the days are going to seem overwhelming, but there's also going to be a lot of rewarding moments in between. And and it's possible. You can do it just one step at a time. I'm going to record that and play that to myself every day (laughs) with the days that I need it. Well, Alana, this has been such an incredible conversation. And like I said, it it couldn't have come at a more perfect time for me. I'm super inspired by you. I'm inspired by not only your mission and and the, the ground that you've broken, but by your perspective and your optimism. It's it's just something that I think we all need to to hear right now and, and and to 
take into our own lives. Well, thanks. I really appreciate you yeah. taking the time for the interview. Yeah, absolutely. So Al- Alana is an incredibly prolific athlete. One of the reasons personally I was so excited to speak to her is because she's kind of on this crusade to show women that you can do it all, that you can have this athletic career or go after your dreams and be a parent. And so I think this this is an important message for anyone who thinks that they can't juggle life. And she really has this perspective that's so inspiring and so positive in this journey of becoming a parent. You know, sometimes you just hit these walls. And so I personally was so excited to sit down with her and to just get that inspiration. And, and she certainly didn't disappoint. This is the final episode of season one, but don't worry. We'll be back over the summer with more episodes for season two. We're going to branch out a little bit and get into some other timely sports controversies like Title IX, the Tour de France, and the World Cup. Stay subscribed to Torched and we'll update you soon on timing. We're super excited to bring you more fascinating stories. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Nikki Stein and Kelsey Albright. Olivia Canny is our production assistant. Original music by James Lavino. Special thanks to Allison Cohen and Matt Eisenstadt. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'll see you this summer for season two.